What's going on, sir? What's up, cowboy? Oh, man, I'm driving the back road to Texas, trying to get to the hill country. <laughs> awesome. I just finished with BJ Val. Oh, did you? How was that? Awesome. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, man, I'm glad she got to come to the conference and everything. That was pretty cool. That was amazing for sure. Yeah, um, we're going to try to, like, uh, have her come out to all the conferences and just kind of mix in, you know, music to you know, the mood of the weekend and all that. So <clears throat> it's uh, um, I'm glad you guys kind of connected. Are you uh, did you talk about her project and everything she's got going on? No, I'm just, I'm just a noob to all of that. <laughs> well, it's fair enough. We're noobs in everything, right? Everybody's noobs in ranching and Bitcoin. We're all coming together, so that's all that matters. That's right. How you been doing? Well, I can't complain. I've been super busy, but the grass is growing. They finally got the canal dug back out. The hillside went down and pitched it off, and it's been dug out, put back together multiple times, so I finally called the president of the ditch company, I'm like, well, isn't it time to, like, do something more permanent, because what we're doing right now doesn't work. Right, right. Hey, hey, Jason, hold on, Cole's calling him right now, too, let's let's get him in here, okay? Hold on a sec. See if we can get him over here. Hey, what's going on? Jason's on the phone too. Hey. Hey. Well, yeah, uh, we're we're on time. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, Hell yeah. Well, it's good enough, isn't it? Right? It is two o'clock. It's two o four. You guys don't look at your watches, anyways. So. <laughs> We were just talking about irrigation, and I was about to say the sky looks hot. You can see the heat here in Texas. Yes, it is definitely, definitely warm. So you were you were saying, Jason, real quick? Yeah, well, well I mean, just uh, one main canal, the hillside is split down and pinched it off four, five, five times so far this summer. And I called the president of the ditch company. I said, we need to figure out something more permanent than shutting the water off and taking the Chaco up there and digging it back out just for it to slide in again. He said, well, what, what do you suggest? I'm like, well, let's put a steel pipe through there and anchor it with rock bolts to hold it in place. He's like, well, I never thought about that. I'm like, well, I guess that's the difference between you and a marine slash coal miner slash cattle rancher. I don't want to have to do anything twice. If I can do it once and call it good, I'd rather just do it once. That sounds like a sounds like engineering to me. And I'm not going to say a CB, but it sounds uh, it sounds like a very good uh, engineering. That's for sure. I would. So lo and behold, I called a mine engineer friend of mine, and he's up there looking at it right now. Wow. Well, that's the daily life of Jason Rick, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Sometimes I just poke the hornet's nest and wait for whatever comes out. Right. 
How's it going, Cole? It's going well. Uh, I'm trying to keep the noise out. I'm actually just in between. I'm fixing to go to a bank meeting here in a little bit, or like it's 3:30. Uh, I'm actually sitting here in the meat shop trying to ship this crazy amount of orders we had come in. So, Did you? Uh, are they coming in? Or are they flowing in? Yes, they are staying steady, and our team is, man, they're working as hard as they can. I already unloaded a truckload of alfalfa this morning, so it's a pretty good day, I guess. Cool. Well, that's good. I've been I've been driving all the way from Amarillo down to the hill country, and I was wondering, and it, it is it is dead here. It is completely brown everywhere. I mean, well, they had a fire two days ago. I just prayed it didn't jump over 969 because it burnt about 100 acres. And if it jumped over, we were screwed. That would have burned everything up, but it fortunately didn't. That's cool. Well, you, I think you told me about that. And you, you and I were talking, Cole, last week about, you know, wanting to kind of bring some some uh everybody's been asking all these questions you know we got the drought we got people you know selling cattle calves at auction and you brought up a really good point the other day about uh you know how how people should be asking if they're if we're walking up on somebody maybe even at a farmer's market you know where where did that cow come from you had a good point um you what do you think about that as far as education what we should really be educating people because we're getting all kinds of stuff on my side of things as far as input of questions and people are kind of confused because you got all the uh you know the dramatic stuff out there lines of people selling their cows at auction and you know this is you know where we're going this year and this fall so i figured all three of us should talk I think I can speak for Jason and I both on one aspect of it, and I'm anxious to hear his opinion. I'm getting hit with it, too. I actually noticed uh, one of the big players down here yesterday was doing an update from some crap they went to at A&M, uh, telling people about the market and it's going to get cheaper, which is pretty stupid, but okay. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm battling here, Jason, I'm sure you're getting to enjoy some of the same in your neck of the woods. One is every Tom, Dick, and Harry will call along the side of beef, and a few times I've been told, well, holy shit, that's way too expensive. I can buy one at the sale barn and cheaper. And that is a pretty statement. They should definitely go buy one at the sale barn and cheaper. Um, the problem is they're going to be extremely disappointed in the quality of what they're going to get because the, the calf's going to graze select or below select at commodity level. Um, and they just go buy a random cow. They don't know, you know, they don't understand genetics, and they don't, uh, the, the taste profile is completely different. Other thing, I, I've been trying to tell people more and more, because I have a lot of folks calling me wanting, you know, to raise their own, and I'm happy to feed them all the info about doing it. But, you know, Jason and I, I think, could have a cool conversation talking about, you know, what does a finished beef look like? Not a <laughs> what? And uh, I get to see a lot of that both from the grain fed and the grass fed side. And um, I just think people, one of my biggest hot buttons is they need to understand what they're getting there. But they also need to understand what they're getting at the grocery store right now. 
you know, when you buy from us, the different one of the biggest things is the ground beef difference. When you buy from Jason and I, it's gonna, you know, you're getting aged whole muscle ground. And a lot of folks don't realize, oh crap, when I go to the grocery store, I'm getting probably 20 different kill cows, and they have no clue because they assume it just comes from the same process, and it doesn't at all. <laughs> yep, that's that's just the fact of the matter. And the problem is, is we, we've allowed it to happen. All the little butcher shops and grocery stores have all gone under because we've allowed them to no longer uh, enforce the, the Stockyards and Packers Act the way that it was written, and we put all the little players out of business, and nobody even knows the huge machine that is behind the current commodity beef uh, market and system. And that, that's, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why I got on board with the beef initiative, is as soon as I heard education, I'm all in because there's a lot of educating that needs to happen because we, we continue to have the naysayers in, in all of the national beef organizations and the naysayers in every state beef organization who are all benefiting from this big system. They don't want to see the little guy succeed because then we're going to prove everything that they've been preaching oh you got to get bigger and you got to streamline and you got to do this and you got to consolidate it doesn't actually work it's the worst thing that we could have ever done and it's it's literally like an aircraft carrier trying to steer it because it takes it's going to take decades to steer the ship as much steering as it actually needs right now yeah, and I, I just think that right there, I mean, you know, we we did all that education there in Colorado, and people were absolutely fascinated. And, you know, as far as the attack on the rancher, how it happens in certain ways, we didn't even, t you know, it was just the tip of the vice iceberg of that. But, you know, me and Cole were talking from the very beginning as well, Jason, and I think it's right now, seriously, all I get every day are questions and questions and questions. And then I have to battle... I have to battle on social media basically all the deceptions out there and all the I guess the 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 24-hour news cycle about you know what's really going on with these supplies and you, it's not a one word or it's not a one phrase sentence uh, answer that you can do I mean everybody's gonna be different and right now it's like you don't want to raise the red flags as far as inventory but I mean, Cole, you brought up inventory the other day in a way that, you know, nobody's talking about, but you're right there on the front lines of it. I mean, what what are you thinking about inventory over the, because everybody thinks it's like right now we're going to be out of beef or that it's just all going to go away all of a sudden, but they don't understand all the moving parts. No, and, and what, what people need to understand what's going to happen is we're going to have consolidation in the industry just because not only Texas but a large section of Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, and just basically the whole Midwest are in a pretty significant drought. So what it does is it makes your cattle placements rapidly decrease. So people are going to ask, well, what is a cattle placement? What that is, is it's an index that is used to identify how many head of cattle are in feed. 
that means the calves, the, the prime top product that you hoping to get when you go to the grocery store, uh, or even, you know, just your normal steak cuts, they're coming from the steers in the feed yard. Well, those placements are down significantly, and they haven't fully outlined what that number is. Three months ago, it was 10%. I would venture to probably 25%. What that means is when you kill all of these young old cows that for so many producers are having to do because of drought, now you don't have an offspring to the market in the fall or next spring. And so we'll see. It's not going to be an immediate rush at, at, at all, but I think where people will start to see this is probably Q2, Q3 of 2023. And yes. Yeah. You know, from a producer standpoint, those of us that are able to stay and to withstand it and, and maintain our herd, there's going to be a probably a really good time for us to make really good profit if you don't want to go farm to table. But all these people that have had to sell out, let's say they do get rain, they buy back in, they're going to unfortunately more likely forced to buy at the top of the market. And so, yes, there is going to be some price change, but it may not be immediate. Quite frankly, with as many cows as they're killing, just like Jason's, there's so much flawed information that's going around, and because they don't have to follow the pack doctors and guidelines, ground beef theoretically ought to be cheap right now because we have so much inventory in the commercial market. It's completely different than what Jason and I do, but it is still very relative because people want to compare us to a grocery store price all the time. How are you compared to Whole Foods or you pick which grocery store you shop at? Well, they're getting hosed, in my opinion, by the market right now because the, the, you know, the older cow market is dropping drastically because they're ha- they have so much volume hitting the auctions and these, these large corporate products. So ground beef should be cheap, and it's not. Well, isn't that part of the manipulation that goes on as far as the from the packers, the processors, anyways? I mean, that's been going on. For, I mean, that's just that's how how they do it. I mean, they just you know JBS settled out of court for fifty six million during COVID for price manipulation. Is that the same thing? It's just it continues because they don't really have to have pay any penalties in the big scale of things as far as you know what you were talking about earlier, Jason. I mean. People don't realize that a lot of the beef also was being shipped in from other places as well. How many tons was that, Jason? Uh, two, two billion pounds. <laughs> or four, yeah, maybe it's four. It's a bunch. It's either two or four billion pounds um, imported and the same amount exported at premium cuts. But, but what you're asking there, uh, Slim, was... It, what it is is the consumer will continue to pay what mainstream media is telling them the price is. Right. And so as long as we can continue to say um, beef supplies are low, which is a lie, um, then you will pay whatever the grocery store says it is. And so, and that's what they're continuing to do. And so they're looking at cuts and they're like, well, Ground beef is all we can afford to buy, and it is, you know, five seventy-five a pound. That's 
the only ground beef that we're going to be able to afford to buy. So they're still moving it at whatever that inflated price is. And grocery stores never reduce prices, right? It's always goes up. Whereas fuel, you know, it'll go up for however amount of time. They'll get another tanker load, and it'll go down 20 cents or 40 cents, whatever it is, based on whatever they paid for it. Whereas the grocery store prices almost never go down because what they do is if they were able to sell it at that inflated price at the same volume, they just leave it there. They never reduce it. Um, and it's all about metrics for them. And and so that's the thing that you're up against as our direct-to-consumer model is I refuse to, to have the conversation with consumers who want to compare me with the grocery store yeah because i would rather them go buy it from the grocery store with all of the negative health implications that come with it than me waste my energy on them but of course i'm only moving you know at most 40 head a year and my business through word of mouth advertising no actual advertising other than that just continues to grow to the point where I'm going to probably try and get some cooperator herds in as well who have their protocols the same as mine. Um, whereas Texas is a huge beef state. I mean, everybody eats beef. That's just like their go-to protein. And it's re- it would be very difficult um, for me, number one, to listen to the noise because everybody... You know, around here, you know, that you hear them talk about that, oh, well, the grocery store is this or this or that or whatever. And I'm like, so I have a price comparison. I went to Kroger and I wrote down all the prices of every cut and weight so I could give them this is what a quarter of a beef costs for me. And this is what the exact same cuts, same volume would be from Kroger. So if they buy a quarter for me, they're saving like a hundred. It depends on the weight of the steer, but they're saving between a hundred and a hundred and sixty dollars versus buying all of that stuff at Kroger, and they get it all at once and it's in their freezer one time. And so those people that are on the fence, they can see like, oh wow, you know, a hundred dollars—that's twenty pounds of ground beef. That's a huge savings in their mind. Um, so that will help, you know, persuade them or at least give them the education. But the other ones that are like, well, I can do this or I can do that, or I don't know how to cook or whatever. I'm just like, well, then you should probably just buy it from the grocery store. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> it's funny you bring that up. It, it reminded me of all the conversations I've had with Cole because Cole's got it down as far as, you know, the health aspects of it. And, and Cole, you told me from the very beginning, one of the first times we talked, you talked about your ground beef and how you can't compare it. And I just have to tell you this just because it, it just you, you, you sparked that memory, Jason. Cole, I've probably had over 30 to 40 people tell me they're never eating other, any other type of ground beef ever again. <laughs> and that's all they're going to buy is your ground beef. And, and that... And it's no different for Jason. That's what I was saying earlier. Right. People don't realize when you have a finished steer, regardless of your program, and they are truly finished, you age the beef, which is a 
one of the biggest parts, you're getting aged ground beef. And you're getting whole muscles. So we control that fat content. We control the superiority of the grind that you're getting. Uh, that's what makes that taste profile so much richer. That's why our ground beef, it don't matter who you eat. Whether it was me, Jason, or anyone else that's following our protocols, if if they do the same system, you're going to get that same experience. Now we can bring a consecutive taste profile to the consumer that will be the same every single time. And they're not going to have all that crazy variation or, or you know, grab tendon when they're eating the ground beef or be like, man, you know, uh, it tasted sour. It smelled weird. You should never have that when you have an aged product. And coming from the same muscle makes a huge difference. You know, I have. I don't know how many times I've had people say it. Now that I've had like either even your your beef as well, Jason, especially from the conference, right? And then everybody that's been buying through the beef initiative call and through, of course, your your website, people keep on saying, "Well, that other stuff tastes like plastic," and I didn't even realize it. Seriously, man. <laughs> That's not me soliciting that. That's people different times, different uh, people, different places. I didn't realize that the store-bought stuff tastes like plastic. That's interesting. And I've heard it like more than once. So, you know, that's, it's props to you guys and everything. But <laughs> And then there was another person that their father was basically told by the doctors to quit eating beef, you know, heart, you know, cholesterol, all that kind of stuff. And now I think that they're, that's all they're doing is eating hamburgers from uh, you, Cole. So <laughs> you're changing people's perceptions, and it's only based on exactly what you just said. I mean, people do undercut the value of everything that you guys just pointed out. The reason they undercut it is because they just don't know about it, man. They really don't. They don't know how to look at it. They don't know how to get to that first principle of what they should be actually thinking about when they're eating and so it's it's fascinating the type of stuff that we're bringing and you know Jason and I were just talking about education education and of course Cole you know that's what you said you are you're just an educator you don't even have to sell anymore are you right now with the processing center that that's about to open up how are we going to ramp up this education across the beef initiative that's something I need to know well, one thing that'll be really helpful is, is being able to have our butchers explain where different cuts come from, to explain the blends, to explain the difference in quality. Because uh, one thing that I've seen, I've worked with so many different processing plants as we've grown to service our volume. You know, I can go to one, and if I went off the cut sheet that that processor offered, you know, 50% of my carcass is going to be ground beef. When you get a half from us, only about 35 to maybe 38% is going to be ground beef because we spend so much time explaining to people all these other really high-end cuts they can get uh, that don't have to be grinded. And then, yeah, of course, you know, you get the folks who are like, oh, I don't know how to cook. Uh, that just sounds, sounds difficult, but most of them are you know, it's not like you have to throw it in a crock pot for six hours. Um, you know, you have things like tri-tips, picanhas, sirloin tip roast. You do a reverse sear, and in an hour, you have a restaurant-quality steak that was going to turn to ground beef. 
And so we're going to spend a lot of time focusing on that. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, with different chefs that we work with, explaining ways you can cook this stuff at home and not just go to restaurants. We're going to spend a lot of time educating people about humane treatment and stress in cattle. Um, and why buying local does, you know, being able to buy from a local producer that's using a local processor does lower the amount of stress. From a producer standpoint, we make more money because we have less shrinkage due to stress. And finding facilities that are able to give you a value-added product so that as a producer, you can make more money. Now, as an example, right now, if anyone's aging beef, we're all aging the entire carcass 14 to 21 days, or if you have that luxury. But what we're going to also do is have that same capability to come in and do dry aging for you. So if you now, as a producer, want to offer a 45-day dry aged ribeye, we're going to do that. If you want to offer snack sticks, you want to offer different sausage links, you want to do some of this, some of these other products that we call them value add, you know, seasoned skirt steak, fajita steak, it allows us to make more money off of it as a producer, but most importantly, you're able to give it an added experience to your customer. Uh, so we're going to really, really focus on that with the beef in, or through the beef initiative and through hometown meat market. Right. Um, all, all services we want to bring to the public that are going to be a little bit different than what your traditional uh, processing plant does. That's uh, what's uh, <laughs> I hate to be this guy, but uh, what, what are we looking at? Are we looking about a month out, Cole, or what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's gonna be first September. We're giving a hiring uh, <laughs> date right now telling folks September 5th, right? Well, that's so. that's gonna be pretty good timing with the with the Georgia conference and everything. What about you, Jason? We didn't talk about your processing at all at the at the conference, and maybe we should have brought that up. That now's probably a good time to kind of, you know, bring that up about what you're you what how you're doing it in Colorado and how it kind of compares to what uh, uh, Cole's doing now, and then how he's going to do it in the future too. That's that's some good uh, education right there for sure. Yeah, you know for sure. Um... For me, I'm going more towards um, I'm going more towards assholes, quarters, and eights. Right. Um, because for me, number one, I don't produce enough volume to have consistent retail. Um, and and the other thing too is um, my market is used to that kind of um, that kind of cut sheet anyways. Right. And so many of my new customers have never purchased a quarter of a beef. They never produced, you know, purchased a half or an eighth. So, so much of it is, is educating them. And of course, it might be a little bit selfish, but I, I talk to them about what's easiest for me. And that is a focus of theirs as well. So that they want to support me where I'm at. Um, and then also because they respect what I do, um, it makes it easy for me to, to, to talk to them about 
you know, what cuts and why. And selling into a lot of apartments, you know, in in Denver, Boulder, Colorado Springs, you know, the big city metropolitan areas, they may only have enough room for an eighth. Um, and they're excited to learn how to cook all of those different cuts. Um, I have a few, you know, people that only buy a little bit of retail from me. And I have to make it worth my while to do that because it's a lot more work because then you have all of the rest of those cuts that you have to um, find something else to do with. And, and it's interesting um, what Cole was saying about percentage of carcass for grind because, you know, with what we're doing, we're, it's about 36% is ground because we do stew meat and fajita meat as well. Um, so a lot of that trim you can cut into strips or small chunks for stew meat and fajita meat. Um, and of course that is really exciting for Colorado because all of your winter meals is something you want to put in a slow cooker or put in your um, Dutch oven in the oven to cook those slow cooked meals, go out skiing all day, come home to a home cooked meal. Um, and so and then, of course, the, the processor that I use predominantly is a custom and USDA facility. And that way I have the flexibility to sell retail, sell to the, the few small restaurants and caterers that we sell to, and market all of that stuff retail as well if it comes up. But I'm definitely focusing more on that whole yeah. half quarter and eighth beef market. That makes sense. Well, Cole and I have been talking for a while, and then, of course, in the beef industry, we're going to start doing the subscription models, too, and that's going to be the entry point for people that are coming in. You know, Cole's going to be the main supplier, of course, of the beef initiative, but now we can get the smaller guys or whatever across the United States where they can be introduced to the beef initiative through a subscription model because it's more controlled that way. I think that's going to be a good value add for a lot of people, especially the smaller, because you're going to be able to kind of you know, slice and dice as, as needed as far as the cow is concerned. And so that's going to be something that we're going to be basically uh, announcing, I think, next week. So and I'm trying to time it with the, with the uh, processing plant, Cole. So <laughs> here we go. And... Uh, you know what Jason said is pretty interesting for us. You know, <laughs> the way I was able to try to keep my the inventory you're talking about, Jason, in balance was, you know, I got into the restaurant business. And because of the education we're doing on KNC through the Beef Initiative we've done at these conferences, I'm actually getting to get rid of restaurants, which is a blessing. Um, you know, wholesale, your margin sucks. They're very demanding. Um, they're very picky. They're very price sensitive. All things that we don't want to do if you consider value for value. Uh, not at all that you don't take criticisms. But the root of wholesale always comes back to price. And that's the only negotiating factor for them is price, price, price. And exactly what Jason said. One of the reasons so many of the processors in Texas 
we do stew meat, we do chili meat, but it's so damn hot here that people don't eat a whole lot of it. And so, and what's really weird too is, Jason, I don't know if it's like this in Colorado is bad. I have a whole group of customers that, like, you get to your rib section, and they don't even know how to cook ribs. They don't want to put them in an the oven. They don't want to put them in crock pots, so they're grinding ribs. I'm like, man, who in the hell wants to grind ribs? Um, you know, and so I, we've been able to, we focus heavy on same thing. You know, I spend 20 minutes on the phone with someone with a cut sheet. And right now, we're selling as much bulk from a, from a volume standpoint and not a per dollar standpoint as we are in, in our retail. I mean, um, and, and I'm seeing this because I think a lot of this is driven exactly what Jason said. It's, it's being driven by the media. I mean, we sold 38 half sides of beef last week. Yeah. And so you're like, where in the, excuse <laughs> my language, where in the fuck did this come from? <laughs> and, um, Hey, it is. No, I no. It came from Texas Slim, is where it came from. That's okay. That's what y'all. I've been talk. I've been yapping my my gums off here. I mean, come on now. I've been talking. Uh, 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 We'll we'll say it's an equal mixture. We'll we'll say part of it comes from Texas Slim, the bullshitter. The other one comes from from the media that are liars. But. uh, Hey, I'm from Texas. Hey. I can tell stories, damn it, and so can you, That's Cole. Right. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I actually thought it was a fluke. I really did. I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's a bunch of podcasts. Maybe it was, we've been pushing some, some more uh, stuff through our social media platforms targeting this. Yeah. But then, it's like, then this week, we got hit with 18 quarters, all in the Metroplex. Most of them are apartment people, uh, or as I look at, at where the where their addresses are, they're in apartment complexes or duplexes, what have you. And same thing though. I mean, hell, we still sold twelve halves, and it's just continuing. More and more folks are buying in bulk, and now we're starting to get repeats from guys that bought in March and April, when all of us kind of really started pushing the beef initiative. Right. Now we're getting that repeat customer that's wanting bulk. And Jason, I just sent. Uh, I had a gal reach out to me um, on one of our social media platforms asking how in the hell they didn't see you with all of us being tagged on Twitter, but she tweeted me or tweeted whatever. Uh, <laughs> ah, ah. I can't ever say right, but she was asking for beef in Colorado, so I sent her to you. Um, but it is. I mean, it's like a damn windstorm for us. We're, I hope, you know, I hope as Jason, as you align with other ranchers, we're going to have to do the same for volume. Um, I hope we can really, in my mind, we take over Colorado, we take over Texas. I don't even care if we ever have to fight the Midwest. Because the Midwest can serve us themselves. But if we can get this whole little circle right here, Oklahoma will jump on board. Louisiana, hell, they're not used to good beef, and that's going to be a little different challenge over there, but uh, people are being are being much more centered, but I do want to. If you can do one thing for us, Slim, what's that? Let, let me and Jason go through real quick what a finished beef looks like. Yeah, from the grass fed <laughs> side, from the grain no, beef that's side, a good point. I have people. Yes, please do. 
I do because I think it's important for them to understand that. Uh, and mainly because it's been a real hot pet peeve of mine lately. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going crazy over it. But, you know, some of the key characteristics, regardless that if you're doing a grass-fed program, uh, 100% or grass-fed grain or grass-finished or grass-fed grain-finished, you want to make sure the top line of the animal is flat. That way you see their initial fat cover. So there's going to be, as you look from their shoulders to their hips, it looks, I mean, you could put, a, you know, a, a damn measuring stick on it without a move. You know, we want to see that they are full in their chest. They have a good brisket. We want to look at their tail head. And, you know, even a cow in the pasture can have what we call cones, which are pockets on, on the sides of her tail head. And that's, that's fat. We want to see if they're, you know, their their cod section. So if it's a heifer or a steer, uh, it'll start to swell or appear to be big or like you might even think if it's a heifer that they're pregnant, but they're not. It's just their, their internal fat starts to accumulate as they're getting to size. But Jason, like for you, when you take one in, what's your live weight going to be? You're not taking a 700 pound animal to harvest. <laughs> no, uh, our live weight is typically, and, and it depends so much because our cow herd is very variable because I've been raising bulls for different markets. And so sure. steers are everywhere from, I think the lightest live weight steer I've ever taken to butcher was 1,190 pounds live weight. And it was probably only chest high on me, but it was as wide as it was tall as it was long. And I bet these sim-based cows, a couple of those are a lot bigger boned calves, and I bet those steers were probably closer to 1,400 pounds um, live weight. Because I know the hanging weight on the last two of those that I brought were um, one of them was 805 and the other one was seven I'd have to look at my phone but I think it was 750 um, hot hanging weight what he just lot, said took a lot okay. longer to get them finished because they they got to finish going before they started to finish so it took them you know they were 20 20 21 and 23 months makes absolute sense so oh you know as people are listening to us and slim i I think you had said you're going to record but here's a here's a great thing for them to know hell some of jason's steers are bigger than mine are right yeah my my point with that is there's so much arguments over is grass fed or is grass finished grain finished which one's bigger which one's better the reason that whole argument starts is because we see people in both sides of that program, and I know Jason sees it too at his processor, where we go in and we see a live weight steer that weighs 700 pounds, so he's hanging at 350. He has no damn fat to even put into the meat. And so people go, they order a grass-fed steer that hung at 500. They order a grain-fed finished steer that weighs in at 500. 
both consumers are going to be disappointed because the cap is going to provide no marbling. That is what a lot of I see as a threat to the farm to table movement is people getting that bad taste and that bad experience. And then they paid a shit ton of money for processing. The cost per pound for processing that is not efficient on a steer that little. You've got to take them to true weight to be able to absorb that cost per pound as a consumer or a producer. Yeah, and I get the the biggest question to probably ask, and I think this is how you let it off last week, Cole, when we were talking, is like whenever you walk up on somebody and you're trying to establish a relationship is what you should do, shake your hand, of course, is ask them and say, hey, how much was this beef, you know, at processing? How much is the hanging weight? They should know that. They should really know that. And they should be able to speak to it pretty uh, fluently and you know willingly and if especially if it's going to be something that's farm to table yeah and you know for producers that listen to us jason's doing it right you know he he, like you said you're bringing some of the lemmy back into your into your seed stock in texas we tend to breed a bring in a little bit of brahmin just because of heat and so you know our calf crops just like this they're up and down I have some low-line Angus that are going to finish at 1150, 1200. I have some big, some big or big calves that have you know an eighth of a grammar in them, and they're going to finish at 14. Regardless of that, genetics plays such an important role in both of our programs, and part of that is how they convert on grass. Part of it's how big they are at weaning. A lot of it has to do with the size of ribeye marbling um, all those factors that so many folks I see when I go to the plant and I see a damn longhorn that's grass fed or my favorite is when I see someone bring a wagyu <laughs> that they're selling for $15 a pound that hangs at set, you know 600 pounds that don't, and I'm like that's an oxymoron man <laughs> exactly exactly so you're paying for all the marbling and you're paying for this unique flavor profile with the Wagyu, yet you didn't grow the animal to the point to where they could actually give that flavor and marbling profile. Well, that's one thing that I asked many of our um, event goers who came to the Colorado conference, because that was grass-fed and finished, and that was actually a four-year-old cow that we butchered that had fantastic marbling and of course I got to eat one of every steak and we cooked 250 pounds of steaks and I think there were seven steaks left um, <laughs> and, and I um, and I asked everybody because there weren't there wasn't any of it left you know no one like ate part of the steak and then threw the rest of it away there was none of it left and so I asked them what they thought and, um, I mean, it was, most of them have their mouth full while they were chewing, and so they couldn't really necessarily answer. <laughs> but it gave everyone the opportunity to have a grass-fed, grass-finished, which would not be able to be USDA butchered right. um, with T-bones because, you know, 
They don't do anything over 30 months due to regulation, which is horse shit, in my opinion. Um, Doesn't make any sense. It came from Mad Cow and all of that, you know, knee-jerk reaction. But nevertheless, I could cut the fillets with a fork, right? And um, the New Yorks I could cut with a fork. Um, New York tip steaks, which, of course, were, you know, one-and-a-half-pound steaks, I had to use a knife on them, but I used a butter knife. And so it's one of those things where, where if it is raised correctly and if it is processed correctly, I have yet to have an animal that had any of that gaminess flavor or any of that that I, I'm constantly hearing people say, you have to finish on grain because grass-fed is gamey. I have, I have yet to have one that I've produced that fits into that category. But what I've found is a lot of it comes down to handling. If you get those critters wound up, loading them in the trailer, and you haul them wherever they're going, they're wound up, and the processing facility doesn't have good, calm, unloading and kill facilities, that's where you get that gaminess because my uncle finished one. He had me come and help him load it. It was, I mean, it was batshit crazy. And I told him, I said, you should grind all of this for burger. He says, why is that? I said, because it is going to be terrible. He says, I don't know. You know, and he said, well, why do you say that? I said, because it's going to be so full of stress hormone and it's going to be so banged up from running around that you might as well grind it all. Well, he, he, he ground most of it, but he had cut some steaks. He says, hey, I want you to try this meat and tell me what you think. And so I cooked a, a package of steaks, and I could already smell it when I have it on the pan. Yep. And, I, and I already knew what it was going to taste like, and it tasted like a deer that you'd run down, wounded, and cut its throat. That's just how gamey it was. I mean, it was fat. It was over fat. When they pulled the hide off of that steer, it had like two inches of back fat trim on it. I mean, it was super fat. The marbling was fantastic, but because it had all that stress hormone from being run around and around and around, um, it, you essentially needed to throw the whole thing away, or like I said, grind the whole thing. And and that's we're in our cattle every day. I mean, I'm a one-man band, and I'm walking through my cattle every day. Um, and that's just simply because I know quality is going to be the highest it can be when those cattle go to the butcher. And they just think they're going to a fresh pasture. They jump in the trailer all excited. They go for a ride down to Montrose. They climb out and they're like, this doesn't smell right. Where's the grass? And then boom, that's it. Game over. Then they're in the cooler. Yeah, I agree. And, and you nailed it. I mean, you're exactly right. But, and I... Regardless of, of which design you do, it's a culmination of both. Slim, he speaks the exact language I do. It's for handling procedures from stress, and it's killing un, unready animals. And if you combine that two, it don't matter what damn program you do, you will get that gamey flavor. You'll get dark cutters. You'll get steaks that are tough as bootleg. Yeah. Well, and steaks that don't resemble the grocery store cut, because right. a ribeye a rib of a baby calf versus a ribeye of a finished steer or heifer, 
you know, one's one third of the size of the other because those are some of the last muscles to grow because they're non-locomotion muscles. And so if you want something that has presentation, it has to grow to full-size maturity, um, and it has to be on a high enough plane of nutrition to actually finish. And that's the thing that I, I you know, some of the good old boys that feed the crappiest hay and then they just pour corn to them, they're getting plenty of energy, but they're not getting enough of the macronutrients, proteins, and other things that they need to build the muscle that's actually, you know, the most desirable part of it. And, and so you, it doesn't work. I mean, you have to feed them a good quality ration no matter what it is to actually get them finished. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, you know, for us, just like you, we, we focus heavily in our alfalfa base um, because, you know, that I feel like the most important time in the life of that animal is from the weaning weight up to the point where you're preparing to, you know, really push them uh, those last 120 days or 90 days. When you're getting close to finishing that animal, up to that gap is from a time perspective and their grazing habits, that's the most important part because that's where they, they learn their de-stress profiles. Uh, they put on the majority of, of their growth from a hip standpoint. Uh, you're exactly right. You showed me that when I, I think it was the first time I came out to the ranch, uh, Cole, and you showed me that brisket, and it was, you could tell, it was comparable, it was night and day, and, and that was uh, something I'd known, but I'd never really seen it that close, and just the bluing of the flesh, and you know, just the type of bruising that it shows, and, and it's basically the overall adrenaline and stress that that causes to that meat is, is, vis is visual. And it's a no-brainer if you know what you're looking at. If you don't know what you're looking at, which most people don't in the supermarkets, it's nothing against them, that they're just not even going to be aware of that. So, you know, as far as this this education, it, I mean, it goes deep. And I think right now, and you can't find it anywhere. And, you know, from day one, Jason, you said education is, you know, something I told you. I think it's time for us to really start ramping this up and build some uh, – I guess programs around it. I mean, Jason, you're getting that scholarship next year, so here we go, right? And then uh, right. Cole, you're Jason up next. Al and I talked a little bit about that too. So, who who was that? I'm sorry. DJ Val. Oh, did y'all? Podcast here this morning. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, well, and especially Cole, once we get this uh, processing uh, plant facility open. Uh, I was talking to Justin up in the Panhandle. He's gonna basically look at some programs as well that are, I think the Mesa pro pro program out in New Mexico, they're gonna start tra training people actually to be butchers again. And so I think there's a, a general kind of uh, awareness that this could become a trade again as far as cutting up the cow, dissecting the cow, understanding meat protocols, genetics. I think it's coming back. So I think that we're on to something. I got a phone call yesterday from a young man who's been processing beads his whole life. He's been doing it for his family, and now he's up to doing about, I think he's got five hanging in the cooler right now. And so his older 
brother who's a neighbor of mine who came down for Saturday evening at the ranch. Um, he wants to sit down and talk because he's to the point where he's going to need to expand. And so we really need to look at that microprocessing um, viability here in Colorado. Yeah. Because I, I think with what, um, what consumer demand looks like, because I have more and more people asking about the, you know, the fancy little better utilization of so many of these big muscle cuts, you know, like the Denver and Picanha and all of that, that if we could get that together, I think that we could move enough volume. And, and I mean, for me, it would be everybody, any, any producer who wanted to come to the table and be part of it, because there's a co-op processor here, um, and I used them one time, um, and so I think there's some issues there, but I think if you were starting from the ground up, I think that there's some consumer as well as producer buy-in that we could use to leverage a brand new, you know, beef initiative-based model microprocessor somewhere here within these five or six counties, um, that I'm that I'm thinking of. Yeah. So we, we definitely need to sit down and talk about that, um, kind of what that looks like and what the buy-in as far as that the proof of work portion of um, that design. Well, that's that's good timing because I've been working with my legal team and we've been working with a couple of people that have opened up the processing plant and now we're waiting for Cole to open up his processing plant so I think it's time that we're going to actually be pretty formal with this and uh, the Beef Initiative Association Council has been formed and so uh, that's uh, perfect timing <laughs> and Cole I need to come tour the plant yeah we've, uh, we've changed it a bunch I wasn't <clears throat> just ecstatic about some of the engineering with it. It looks a lot different. Does it? Yep. Looks a lot different. And now it's night and day from what you saw. We're we are so close and they're hanging rails. Actually I'm I'm really excited. Uh you know, with what what Jason's saying, one of the things that is gonna get tough, USDA needs to to put their money where their mouth was on that commitment for new processing plants because they still haven't opened those grants up on new processors. If you bought an existing facility, you can get funds, but the new stuff hasn't become available yet. Um, and what it's done is it's driven, you know, used to the rule of thumb was $275 a foot. Now it's more like 425 wow. Oh, shit. Wow. And that's just been in the last two years, right, Cole? Or even in the last year, yeah. maybe? Yeah. And what derives from that? You don't have to buy all the high-tech equipment we did. But, and so you can lower that down a, a little. But we built bigger because as I tried to perform of this thing, what I realized is exactly what Jason's saying. When you break down and you start taking those, those larger muscles and trying to go into these specialty cuts, it does slow your it slows your processing down. Right. Well, if you get through, when you're only doing 20 or 30 head a week, and you try to absorb those costs with the same amount of manpower, the ROI is not 
really all that advantageous. That's why we went ahead and built bigger than what we planned um, because we could absorb it easier so that we can do, you know, whole muscle or fabricate down and break down that muscle, uh, which all our butchers help. If I have a standard cut sheet that everywhere I go, for the most part, and mine's one of the more bigger pains in the ass cut sheets. <laughs> yeah. But, but mine is, you know, mine's designed that way because, you know, Jason, in all fairness, I've never looked at Colorado to know what competition you have. And I don't treat it necessarily, I think healthy competition at Farm to Table is excellent. But what helped me... What helped me separate myself from some of these dumbasses that are selling a, a half side of beef? Now they're saying that a half is going to be 250 pounds of take home, which that just tells me they bought one at the feed yard. But if that's what they're doing, they're selling it for like 13, 1400 bucks. I can't compete with stupid, and I'm not going to. Um, but you know they have a real simple cut sheet. You get three main steaks. You get roast. You get ground beef. We'll throw some brisket and give you short ribs. Thank you. Have a great day. And that's what helped us kind of separate, you know, folks being able to get some of those money cuts. It helped us weed away from that same profile. And I needed something to keep that separation because uh, they're all, you know, blowing up. We have a Facebook page called Shop Texas Farms. It's like 25,000 people. It's a mixture of producers and consumers so the consumer goes on and says i need a half side of beef in zone seven which happens to be my you know the zone i'm in in austin and they're getting hit with 40 people within 45 minutes check out someone's my website at da, 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 my website da, 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 da. we had to be i needed something that i could put in writing that shows how we're different right uh, and that i agree with you I think if they'll get those funds opened up, it'll help that absorption because they'll, I don't remember the exact proposed breakdown, but I think it's up to 20% of the, or 20 or 25% of the total cost for construction. They can extend in grants. They just have not opened the grant. Yeah, it was a news cycle that lasted about 24 hours and uh, then it was gone. It was a big old pacifier. So. Well, and, and that was just it. You know, because, of course, the first thing I did when I heard it is I called the FSA office, and I said, hey, you know, I'd love to get information for this. And she says, the funny thing is, is the president announced it on TV, and our department heads haven't even got, don't even know anything about it. And I'm like, okay, so what do you think the rollout's going to be? And they're like, well, if it was anything like the last time they said that they were going to do this, which was years ago now I guess it took 18 months for them to even roll out what they were going to do and by then the cost of building plants had doubled anyways so the plants that were already built were built and the ones that got the money um, were only got half of what they should have got because it was based on what the cost model was when they first released it 18 months prior. And I'm like, well, why would you even do it? They're like, well, the big plants like JBS and Cargill and those guys, they have a whole legal team, 
you know, that's writing it in for their expansion, and they'll get full, take full advantages of it. But all the small ones, they won't get, essentially won't get anything out of it. Yep. There you have it. <laughs> there you have it. All right. Well, we're almost in an hour here, guys, for a quick phone call. Oops. Got long-winded. Well, hey, no, 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 this is cool. But, I mean, on a lighter note, all right, I'm going to tease you a bit, Cole. I want to know about what, what happens when cows get out. You got a story for us? Well, well you don't have don't to tell us today. You know, you don't have to tell us today, but I, I want to hear something. I think something happened on that highway close to you. Yeah, well, I actually, I have proof of it now. Do you? I just don't know if I legally have proof of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, I had, I had some, about 180 head of yearlings. We just weaned. Somehow get out. Um, we had a lovely city worker leave a gate open. And about 3.30 in the morning, the sheriff office, sheriff's office called said we have cows out so I drive all the way to Austin because Kelsey and I moved we bought our, our new little horse ranch and we uh, I get here I call her I'm like oh shit you're gonna have to bring horses dogs bring it all <laughs> don't ask questions just load stuff up you know and anyway so for about two hours before we got daylight we were sitting there driving around in, in the ranger just trying to call things in whatever we could we say at that point, we had just weaned them off mama, so calling was relevant. They were not going to follow. But we were we were able to get most of them in, but I kept getting calls all day. I roped about 75 head of cattle, and, you know, I need practice team roping, but I don't really need practice <laughs> pasture roping. <laughs> I got a... Uh, I got my fair share of it. Uh, my ass has been has been raw for three weeks uh, from riding in the saddle four days straight. Oh my gosh! Um, and it was you know 105 degrees. My dogs. It was so funny. You know we we worked for three days. My damn dogs still don't want to get back in the feed truck. <laughs> they, they're saying <laughs> screw, you. screw this. You know, they knew, they were like, no, you, you tried to kill us, we, we know, but, uh, yeah, I had a cow get into this, uh, pretty immaculate facility, and he got inside, it's real close to our ranch, <laughs> and I had to ride a horse inside this thing, and, uh, it was quite a show, um, well, it was quite a show. Well, if anybody knows where your ranch is, there's a lot. There's there's actually a huge facility out there, and uh, I think it's still being built right now, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think they were just as nervous as how in the hell did a cow get inside as I was. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you, that's the biggest security breach you could have. <laughs> exactly. And the the funniest part of all of it is the cow. That calf was so mad. Oh my gosh, he was madder than hell. But I look at it a little different. I don't think he's mad. That poor son of a bitch was scared to death. And quite frankly, if I were in his shoes, I would have been scared to death too. <laughs> There's way too many moving uh, parts in that that place. But uh, 
Well, yeah, it was pretty funny. He got trapped in a sci-fi movie and he didn't know it. How's that? <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think the rest of the story is going to be have to be told here, you know, one of these days, and we're going to save that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll. We don't want to uh, get your ass in a crack just yet, but you know. No, no, I gotta, I gotta be careful with what's said. I damn near had to donate blood to be able to go get my cows. Yeah, how how'd your horses feel about that day? He was so hot and tired, he didn't give a crap. <laughs> Otherwise, I already know what it'd be like. It, I would have uh, probably gotten dumped. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was so damn hot. He was like, "Man, air conditioning? What the heck? We're in a place of air conditioning." Right. <laughs> well, he he wasn't bad. Uh, made me feel real good. <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived, even though it kind of hit your pocketbook a little bit. So, but uh, are hey, we Jim. are we uh, ready to turn the volume up on uh, supply coal? Are you excited about that? Oh yeah, uh, we're good. We're in great shape. We're ready to turn it up. Well, we're about to. How about you, Jason? You're sold out, aren't you? Well, you know, I am, but. Uh, when we come preg checking heifers this fall, they're either prime beef or they're bred. So that's that's the, your your little uh, silver lining. Is anything right. comes in open? <laughs> that is, I mean, they don't get any fatter and better and more tender than a coming two-year-old heifer. So right, we'll see. Hopefully, they're all bred, but on the same token. You know, that's always a, oh, well, we've got four more beef available, so that's good, too. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, I mean, you're going to sell those. That's what I keep on telling people that right now, especially with this drought, you know, if you're relying on certain commodities or your inputs and stuff like that, you didn't prepare, you see these big, long lines in Texas, you keep seeing, have y'all seen that video? It's just being played wow. over and over again. You know, oh, it's at the Hemery Cell Barn. But I, I know. folks need to understand, too, they had 2,500 head that week. They run 1,500 every week. Yeah. But on the other side of that spectrum, that was they were closed the week of the 4th of July. That was the week after. They also have two sales a week. <laughs> and so when you shut down for a week with two auctions at that location every single week, yes, there were a lot of people, but it's not as craziest mainstream media made it look well and that's where we're, that's where we're getting though and I, I was on Marty's podcast again yesterday and I basically said you know it doesn't really matter basically if it gets nefarious as far as there, there is a war on beef right now they're introducing fake commodity with the fake meat we have a global food industrial shift that is happening we're seeing it land grabs across the world and everything it really doesn't matter the 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 smartest thing in for your family and for you or whatever it is is just quit freaking having that consumer demand to that shit beef that's it and it's not shit beef because of bad ranchers it's shit beef because of, of the process and the market access that we don't have it's that simple so it's right. a, it's a no-brainer anymore. It's, it shouldn't even be a thought. I mean, the consumer demand in this direction is just going to happen naturally. And you know, like you said, Cole, people from apartments are build, uh, buying a quarter of a cow. That makes so so, yep. so much sense. I mean, that's where we are. So, 
it's not about being all doomy and stuff and you know the media does man they exploit the crap out of it and that video has been played how many times now and it's just the perspective is lost and that's i that's what we have to do is bring the perspective back but where it is also skewed all these auctions down here they are running higher than normal numbers but most all of it's coal cows these people have been needing to get rid of coal cows for years they just won't freaking do it and you have a drought and they'll damn sure do it right it just forces well, the not hand that's the thing we did two years ago in the spring when prices were high and everyone has high hopes i could see what our snowpack was and what our irrigation was going to be I sold anything that I didn't like and anything that was bred late, and I taught the market because they were still pretty young, good quality cows, um, but I knew I wasn't going to have the feed to feed them through that following winter. So not only did my fall draft last longer, because I had fewer head on it, then I had less hay to buy, and because I sold them early and didn't wait till the last minute, like they're doing now, I got great money for it so I could cash roll or cash flow enough to buy my hay you know and so it's one of those things where to be successful in ag you have to be prepared to assess and pivot and if you can't do it you're going to get caught with your pants down and that's what we're seeing right now in a lot of ways because of the drought I mean that's that's it's a a no-brainer which makes sense it makes sense All right, Cole, you're going to be around next week. I need to get a quarter of a cow, and I need to come do a tour. Oh, yeah. I don't get to go anywhere very far at this point. No, you don't. So I'm going to I'm gonna head to Luling next week and come see you. Sound like a plan? I'll be here. Yes, sir. And then, of course, I'm starting to talk about the big O, whatever it's going to be called on uh, November 5th, down in uh, your, our, that part of Texas. We're going to introduce them to Luling. Yep, we are. We're going to do a ranch tour. We're going to have a big old bash that night. So, And I don't know what we're going to call it, though. It's not just going to be called a steak dinner. we got to come up with a name. So, Yeah, I'll, come. I'll, I'll get to putting my head around that, too. Yeah. See if I can be, come up with something catchy and creative. Well, let's do it. Uh, I got to be devil's advocate, guys. I'm sorry because you guys are always have to be at these conferences. I want both of you in Georgia. So, um, <laughs> I'm high pressure, but I know you got it's it's busy time. So, but you know how I feel about it. And uh, actually, you guys are part of uh, part of this. Well, you are the Beef Initiative. So, um, you guys need to get to Georgia. We'll make it happen if it can happen. Exactly. We'll make it happen if it can happen. Yep. <laughs> and Cole's holding his breath right now. He's not going to say anything. I'm, I'm just mimicking what Jason said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what Adam told me the other day? He goes, you can wrangle me in better than anybody's ever been able to do that. And because he's going to be their headline speaker. And so I'm going to I'm gonna take his compliment and I'm going to turn it towards you guys because you guys are even harder. So... Um, and Cole can't even get download a damn app. It takes him a month to do it. So, um, hey, I, I finally got that damn app you told me. Whatever it's called. You gotta you gotta check it though every once in a while too. Send me some pictures. Oh, 
Telegram. Yeah, yeah Telegram. Yeah, yeah, I haven't been on it. Yeah, I know you haven't. Check your notifications. Send me some pictures. I need some pictures of the processing plant. Just three or four. Will I you, can do it. Will you do that? Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I got to go. I'm, I'm about to get close to Austin here. I got to go pick up my boy. I'm going to send Cole a message right now. Yeah, do it. There you go. Start yeah, talking to I him on Telegram. I still don't know how to use this shit. But it's it's I, not I that can... hard. It really isn't. Oh, looky there. Jesus. I feel smart. <laughs> so, he, see, he does get his notifications. He just doesn't check it when it's me. He's like, fuck. No, it's because I, I got it open. <laughs> I need it to have, like, an exclamation point with a red star or something. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, you get a notification, it'll pop up as soon as you something and then you can answer it oh uh, yeah uh, well I'll turn that on and then what you're going right. to do what you guys are going to do and you're going to start doing it jason i had that talk is you're going to start filming and doing some audio stuff and i'm going to start uploading these stuff on clips cole we got to get you on fountain app so you can start getting some sat stream to you jason you're set up right you're set up yep yep and man, this stuff is starting to take off and it's a good way to educate. So that's what I'm gonna do. We're gonna do this. Nobody else is doing it like we're doing it. Um, you, Cole, you asked me how many people are streaming. They're streaming a lot. And so just whenever you have those moments and you just have those thoughts, you can do a voice recording, hit record on Telegram, let it off, shoot me that audio and I'll get it uploaded and it'll just be a clip and that's it. And then it'll it'll people will listen to those and they just stream you sats. So. Okay. Cool. Value for value, uh, man. Value for value. So, thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Uh, All right. I'll, I'll give y'all a call soon. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good weekend. All right, man. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. There you have it, guys. That's uh, how we talk, usually on a weekly basis. Uh beef initiative we're getting all these ranchers together we're figuring this shit out we do it collectively and uh we do it uh transparently a lot of truth a lot of honesty uh we'll cut it up a little bit more next time remember download your fountain app stream some sats value for value booster grams anything you need reach out we're here beef initiative texas slim i'm driving into austin right now take care